My name is Brent. I am a Fandalite. That's the name we made up for ourselves. Or, actually, Jenna made it up. I'm not that clever with words. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where Jenna and myself read and discuss every Animorphs book in order. This week we're doing book 19, The Departure. Mm-hmm. The, the metaphorical departure, I assume, of Cassie? Because who else could they be talking about, really? I think they're, at this point, just running out of words to put after the... That's bad news. They've got a lot of books to left to go. Anyway. <laughs> a lot of books. Uh, so this book opens with Cassie fighting what sounds like an extremely severe depression, uh, so severe that she quits the Animorphs. The next day, she saves a little girl from a bear, but it turns out that the little girl, Karen, is a controller that followed her home from the sharing. Cassie spends most of the book trying to make a connection with the Yurk in Car- uh, Karen's head, who's named Aftran, and seems to break through. She finally convinces Aftran not to take another host and to let Karen go free by staying in a caterpillar morph for more than two hours. A challenge Aftran leveled because Cassie was asking her to spend the rest of her life blind and helpless. Cassie, as it turns out, has an out since the caterpillar she morphs was about ready to construct a cocoon and turn into a butterfly. A process acts calls natural morphing, which resets her to our clock so she can morph back to human again. Yeah, I like that you phrased it fighting depression because it gets the better of Cassie in this book. Well, I mean, everything she describes about it, how she just doesn't feel anything anymore. Mm. Uh, it's it, this this was a kind of a rough read. Uh, yeah, it hit a little a close to home for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, obviously, I, I haven't been fighting in an intergalactic blood space <laughs> war. Uh, but that's true. But have you have you tried morphing uh, another sentient creature so that you can f- feel their feelings and not your own anymore? I I see the attraction now. I think perhaps we've discovered why Cassie is so enamored with the idea of morphing sentience because she's just leaping at the chance to be someone else for a couple hours. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. As per usual, I'm totally on board with that. It seems like a great cure, at least in two hour chunks for depression. I feel like we really need to stop ragging on her about it at this point. Yeah, no, no, especially after this book, uh, which is kind of chock full of, I mean, those really so good Cassie ethical questions. Yeah, and some just really bad Cassie stupid decisions. Yeah, and also the thing that we get in almost every book now, questions about how the fuck morphing works. Oh, God, it's, it's bound to happen. It's bound to just keep piling up. Yeah, I mean, and we're going to have more questions than answers, I assume, until these books end and we're just left with nothing. (laughs) We're left with the Nickelodeon television series and recording audio (laughs) tracks for it. Are we going to dub the Animorph TV show? Fandalites audio commentary? I don't know, man. We've got... That would be great. We've got so many books before we even have to think about it. That's true. I mean, we're we're chomping away at them pretty regularly, so who knows? Speaking of chomping away at things, one of the oh, earliest questions that this book raises is that Cassie it, attacks a Hork-Bajir as a wolf 
leaves, morphs back to human, and still seems to have sliver of Horkbegier flesh in her teeth. Do you remember reading that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, her mom's like, you've got something in your teeth, dear, and she, like, picks it out and is horrified because it's a piece of Horkbegier. Yeah, so how, 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 how? I... I could come up with something, but why fucking bother? I don't know. But yeah, th- this leads to one of the really important questions that I'm actually surprised we haven't talked about before. Maybe we have. About how a yerk works when you morph. Yes, because there is a whole sequence in this book where Cassie... Willingly. Yeah, willingly takes Aftran into her head so that Karen can express her opinion about whether or not she should be murdered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's good to get consent before you do that. (laughs) Um, And then then, uh, Aftran immediately, like, morphs a bird. Yeah, yeah, she, Aftran, I should say, Aftran, they get into Cassie while Cassie's morphed as a wolf, and then morphs back into human, and then into a bird, and that's, because it's it's been well established by actual K.A. canon that that the Yerks can't get into all animal brains because some of them just can't handle it, like the hammerhead sharks. Right. They had to have those special implants to make their big brains uh, yerk capable. Yeah, so presumably a yerk can't just get in an osprey skull. Like, the actual physical space of that does not seem like it would work. But that raises questions, because if you morph with a yerk in your head, are you one? It, it has, has your DNA melded into one bird? Imagine that I am waving my hands in front of you, <laughs> fingers, and just whispering, zero space. <laughs> because that's all the more explanation I think we ever get. Zero space can't be the answer to all of my questions, Brent. I I am afraid that you are going to be severely disappointed. <laughs> and I mean, we had, we had when Jake was briefly controlled, he morphed into an ant, which, how? Anyway. That, yep, more questions, fewer answers than ever. I can't believe we didn't pick up on that at the time. Yeah, me too. I mean, there might have been other weird morph stuff that happened in the book that caused us to dismiss it or forget it. I think there was so much of it that took place inside Jake's head that we just didn't. Yeah, didn't really think about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really liked the part of this because so what happens is Cassie sees a girl getting chased by a bear, which also brings up questions of how deep in the woods Cassie and her fam live. Yeah, it's it's an excellent question that I once again, the whole geography here is very loose. Yeah, because they're kids. So I don't know how they're all getting out. to. I mean, I know, I do know they all morphed. But I I assume her parents must think that they're all gymnasts because they always hang out in their house in in bike shorts. They think that they've formed like a sick dance crew. (laughs) That's fucking spectacular, Brent. Yes. The dance crew is called Animorphs. Yes, the Animorphs dance crew. They all meet to practice at the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. (laughs) I like that a lot. But Cassie goes out to like one of their horse fields to do some chores, the chores being to clean out an old bathtub. And she discovers that somebody, probably Axe, already did it, which I I just kind of like that Axe like got bored and so did barn work. (laughs) See, 
It didn't make a lot of sense to me that he cleaned out the bathtub because you would think that if he leaves all the algae and gunk on there, he can get some nutrients while he's taking a sip with his hoof, kill two birds with one stone. That is a great point since we know that it's all about the nutrient absorption. And also he could probably just walk on like mud and get all the water he needs. He might step on earthworms then and he can't sleep if he gets too much protein. (laughs) That's true. He has a delicate system. He's got a tender (laughs) tummy. Oh, Axe. That's Fandalite's uh, canon now. Axe has a tender tummy. Tender tummy Axe. That's so cute. I can't stand that. I love it. It's also canon, uh, thanks to Angry Area on Twitter for this, that when he morphs from human to Andalite, all of the <laughs> Cinnabons that he has partially digested just explode out of him uh, onto the ground because he doesn't have anywhere to put them as a horse man. No, you know, it doesn't go into Z's face like everything else. No, no, it explodes out of him. Z-space is like when you're cleaning and you just put all of the stuff you don't have a place for in the closet until your closet is just overwhelmed with junk. Z-space is the Animorphs equivalent of that. Z-space is like on an episode of Star Trek when they have an intractable problem and they just make up some words to solve it. Yeah, it's the hand wavy. It's the, uh, yeah, it's bullshit is what it is. (laughs) The more we learn about the mechanics of Z-Space and Morphine, yes, the more bullshit that uh, it turns out they are. Yeah. So a a lot of this book is also spent in sort of a wilderness survival situation. There's a leopard. Is is it a leopard? Yeah, it's a leopard escaped from a reserve or somebody's private collection, I think. Probably Joe Bob Finestra. That would be an amazing callback. Yes. Um, So yeah, a leopard escaped as prowling the woods. And uh, they have to face it down several times. Karen pulls a Dracon beam from somewhere. <laughs> uh, can't hit it, but that's enough to make it think twice and run away. And it just keeps coming back, trying to take them out. Yeah, and that's all weird, because we have established in a previous book that Rachel can shoot a Dracon beam, even though they're meant for hork hands. But somehow Karen, the the child... Somehow it, it's it's just a little bit too big for her, which seems like a pretty fine line. I don't know. I mean, Rachel is always noted as being like particularly tall and statuesque. Yeah. So very adult. Yeah, yeah maybe she That's has the, the truckosaurus hands to to fire that. I I hope so. Maybe she's slowly becoming more bear like in her natural form over time. So she just has bigger and bigger hands. Amazing. Her eyesight just keeps getting worse and worse because her <laughs> bear morph has cataracts. <laughs> that would be amazing. She slowly becomes a brunette. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we also learn well, no, let's talk about Survivor Cassie. Cause in the last book, which was the Megamorph book, which are always questionably canonical it gets a lot of callbacks i think it's a hundred percent canonical for this book because she mentions specifically being disturbed by murdering that uh that that triceratops yeah that's true that's true it's as canon as any of the megamorphs have been so far Mm -hmm. but that book had a really superb excellent survivor cassie whereas in this book she makes mention of like, oh, do you remember reading Hatchet? I guess we don't really have a hatchet, so we're helpless, which was sort of disappointing. She claims that she's, quote, not exactly an expert on wilderness survival, end quote. I Honestly, given the fact that she keeps both of them alive for like three days in the woods anyway, mm-hmm. I'm 
pretty sure that this is just her imposter syndrome talking. That's fair. I mean, she does spot some mushrooms that do turn out to be like edible and then eats them for a really long time. So that's that's fair. Maybe she's trying to play down her experiences. So Karen's not like, oh, hey, how do you know all this survival stuff? And Cassie doesn't doesn't have to lie. I mean, she does build another fire. That's true. She does manage. Even without Axe's <laughs> tail blade or a hatchet, she does manage. Yeah, yeah. So I think she's just not giving herself enough credit, really. That's fair. I just want Cassie to believe in herself. Oh, man. Let's let's talk about Aftran. Yeah. I mean, God, yeah. Where to start? So, like, Aftran, in the, in the guise of Karen, spends the first little bit that she's stuck in the woods with Cassie trying to convince Cassie to admit that she's an Andalite. And then going, oh, well, maybe you aren't an Andalite. Maybe you're actually a human that has morphine. And how interesting. And just stop pretending. <laughs> yeah, which is which is how you know Aftran is a low-level Yurk. Because all of the mid-tier Yurks uh, know that the Andalite bandits are human. Yeah, I, you also kind of figure that Aftran is a low-tier Yurk. Because Aftran is a little bit of a chump. Cassie falls asleep mm. at one point while she's keeping watch. And uh, Aftran does not think to go take over Cassie as a host and leave Karen there. Yeah, a really wasted opportunity. Like, no wonder they stuck her in a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they stuck stick her in a little kid because they, they ask to be not in a battle morph anymore because they don't want to do battle in a hork which, as you definitely pointed out, means that they're more or less a conscientious obse- uh, objector. Well, it's more than that. Aftran talks about, in this book, we actually learn a lot more about Yurks than we've known previously. Oh, yeah. um, we can have a whole sidebar on Yurk reproduction here in a minute. Sidebar. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, but Aftran actually says that there are Yurks who refuse to take hosts and just stay in the pool. Yeah, which raises a lot of questions about... Their purpose. I appreciate that the thing I'm going to say is um, reflective of the capitalist community in which I was raised and live in. But like, what purpose do those Yerks serve for the group? I mean, I guess they're there to merge with two others and make some grubs. Oh, they're the the birther. They're the birther Yerks. I have no idea. Like quiverful Yerks. I have no idea. <sighs> Are we going to do this sidebar right now? Yeah, let's go ahead, because this is... they. I don't really understand the way it's explained. They talk about three different Yurks uh, love each other very much mm-hmm. and <laughs> merge together and then, like, break apart in a bunch of different pieces. And sometimes one of the pieces is actually two pieces. And that's when you end up with a Visser-Jobob situation. Ha. Huh. Yeah, it, it's... It's not clear what differentiates, like, the quote-unquote twin or brother-sister Yerks from just the general Yerk pool. Because they, they can't, it can't be three Yerks joined together and then three new, Yerk, new Yerks separate, because that's not additive. Right, right. And you would think, because the three original Yerks cease to exist afterwards, you would think that like you'd have to get more than one extra out of it, right? Otherwise, wh- where are all they com- where are they all coming from? Yeah, like there is no way to grow your species if that's the the math that you're doing. So presumably, like if three of them get together and then you get six yurks, that's a pretty good output. But 
how are they not are not all six of them siblings? So I think that there's some clues to this in Yerk naming structure, and I'm sort of I'm paging through my book now because I've noticed uh, a lot of the Yerks that we run into have three names and then a pool designation. Okay. And like a number. Yeah, Aftran 942 of the Het Simplat Pool. Right. I thought she had a couple... I thought she had two other names, so that blows that theory out of the water. Um, uh, I mean, that's the only one I see in my book. Okay. Well, so then presumably... I, I would assume that 942 is perhaps like the order in which she separated from the, the conjoined Yerk Grub. Oh, I like that. I like that theory. I had this idea. For some reason, I was thinking that, that we've run into Yerks with like three hyphenated names, and I was thinking that they all just have the three Yerks that join together and then a number designation and the pool they're from. You might be thinking of the Andalites, because I think the Andalites have... Yeah, you're right. Three names. You're yeah. right. I 100% am. Yeah, the Yerks have the one name and then three number designations, which might which might suggest like... Yeah, that that was the number that they broke off of the core. Although that would mean there is a lot of Yerks coming out of that that union. Yeah, that makes Grubs a lot smaller than I was imagining. Yeah, and I I guess that also raises questions about what how, what the life cycle of a Yerk is. I don't know. We don't get a lot of information on that, but we do get confirmation that it's three Yerks get together and then split apart, which I'm not positive i think we've gotten hints of that before but i don't know if we've gotten a clear description we also have sort of an answer to a question we were talking about earlier about how much interaction the yurks have with each other in the pool oh yeah um we we get aftran confirms that there's like no sight there's no color but um that yurks have an excellent sense of smell and touch and that they communicate with each other via ultrasonic squeaks which is adorable <laughs> Yeah, honestly, that doesn't seem all that terrible. Like the Yerks really the the Yerk, one of the Yerk standpoints is that like it's miserable not having a host uh because you can't see. But even that that seems pretty absolute ableist. Like having not having a sense of sight is miserable even if you can smell and touch and still communicate. Right, and like hang out with your Yerk buddies and play Yerk Dungeons and Dragons and <laughs> Yerk Xbox or whatever. Like they're hanging around in their pools. I get it. They don't have hands or whatever, but surely they can at least play charades or something. Yeah, or some sort of smell-based game that they create because they're Yerks and and they can do that. Yeah. This book also Aftran confirms something that we've heard mentioned by a couple other species as well, which is that Earth has an unusually ripe and lush ecosystem mm -hmm. like far and above and away other other societies in general like the the earth is like the dopest visual shit basically <laughs> yeah yeah earth has all that animal and plant goodness yeah which is which is pretty cool i like hearing that although it does raise the question of like why would the andalites even create morphing technology if they have 10 species. That's something that still bothers me. Anyway. It also sort of raises the question of why the Andalites don't give more of a shit that the Yerks are still actively staging an invasion of Earth. Yeah, it seems like, again, yeah, again, if you have morphing technology, wouldn't you also really want to stake in some of the greatest biodiversity in the universe? I mean, I guess, remember, because their bodies 
are designed by partially finished morphs that they all <laughs> must consider their current form basically the epitome of usefulness. Yeah, so, I know. We've already talked about that. Yeah. It just seems like, like, like bullshit. <laughs> Why aren't they more jealous of our planet? I just figured that that as the cosmic good guys or galactic busybodies, as <laughs> Aftran describes them, that they'd be inter- interested in protecting a world with such a unique biodiversity. Yeah, I mean, you'd think so, but maybe, I mean, if you're... So this is actually a point that Aftran makes that I thought was really interesting and kind of reflects this argument. Aftran, they suggest that humans don't see anything wrong with being predators because they are predators, and yurks don't see anything wrong with being parasites because they are parasites. So for the yurks, predation as the humans practice it is really unacceptable. And for humans, being a parasite is just unconscionable. I thought that was a really interesting argument. And so maybe like for the Andalites, if you don't have a big biodiversity and you're an Andalite and you think your shit don't exist, then yeah, then you must not care all that much about Earth biodiversity because who gives a fuck? Yeah, I suppose. They just don't want to think about Earth stuff. Yeah. But I, I thought that I thought that was a really interesting moral point for Aftran to make. And it's one it's one of those things that is like I, I feel is far above the level the reading level of these books mm-hmm. as far as philosophical conversations go. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, a way deeper think than than you would normally get in one of these things. Although I mean, Cassie pretty unequivocally says, no, that that argument's still kind of bullshit, though, Aftran. Yeah, and I think the the specific counterpoint she makes is that humans aren't pigs. Like, humans aren't pigs and cows. They have a higher level intelligence, and and uh, the fact that they can make moral arguments sets them apart, which I is, I guess, also arguable, but kind, kind of justifiable. Like, the Yurks aren't scrambling to get in pig bodies. Right. They're scrambling to get in human bodies. If right. they wanted to get in pig bodies, I don't think humans would care so much. No, I don't think anybody would complain. If they, well, pigs are pretty smart. That's true. That's true. I, I mean, maybe if they were getting in dolphin bodies or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, Cassie thinks dolphins has, have souls, so she'd probably be pretty <laughs> upset about that. That's true. That's true. If there was some sort of subsentient animal body that they were attempting to take as hosts, I think they would have a way stronger leg to stand on when arguing, like, well, why shouldn't we do this? Well, and I think that's kind of the point with the Ged, because I, I, if I'm recalling correctly, the Ged don't really have very much intelligence or sentience. Like, they're, they're pretty... They have eyes and can see and are a lot more mobile, but I don't think they're really intelligent. And I think that's part of why Ciro, the benevolent Andalite, was chill with them taking the the Ged. I'm not sure. I mean, I think mostly the description of the Ged that we've heard so far has been from Yerks, right? That's fair. And the Yerks probably have a high... uh, The Yerks definitely have reasons to report the Ged as being maybe less sentient than they might actually be. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, when Cassie says, you know humans aren't pigs aftran's rebuttal is your pigs to us oink 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 so (laughs) yeah that was um that was grim and funny and very dark and i just kept picturing like this little like 11 year old redheaded kid 
saying that to Cassie and being like, whew. <laughs> Extremely creepy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so obviously the the if that's the Yerick's attitude towards the or the official party line attitude towards the host that they take, uh, then obviously they're not going to play up the Ged having any sort of self-awareness. Yeah, that's fair. I guess, yeah, they're controlling their own narrative, and that narrative is these creatures aren't making good enough use of their vision, I guess. Do we want to talk about uh, the end twist of this book? Man, I... (laughs) Uh, you know, before we do, because I feel like that's going to take the whole rest of the episode. Okay. Uh, I feel like we could talk about that a long time. I just want to mention that they pull that bird parachute a tactic bird again. parachute. In this yeah. fucking book. I think this is the third time they've done it. The the jumper uh, with bats in the cave. And now again, they're still doing this thing where they like catch a person or bird or bat while falling and try to it's it, it, it's working way too well for them why do they keep doing this well they keep doing it because it keeps working well and once they've established something in the physics canon of the animorphs universe let's just keep rolling that dice until it doesn't work anymore all right sure but it's especially weird in this one because i think it's ca- uh, no rachel gets knocked out while she's a fucking bald eagle because of course she is yeah of co- yeah of course of course, Rachel would have a bald eagle as her, her fly morph, but they they try to catch her as like an I think it's a I think it's Tobias and Marco as an osprey. That sounds about right. Yeah, which are neither of which are very big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I just maybe part of the animorphs universe is that birds, when acting as parachutes, have an innate ability to extrude mass into zero space or something. <laughs> zero space has to be the reason. It's the reason for everything else. Yeah, no, I like this as a new game for this podcast where we try to figure out the answer to everything based on Z-space. <laughs> I I don't even think that's a game unique to us. I think that at, at one point had to have been a game <laughs> among the ghostwriters. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I mean, yeah, Z-Space is just mysterious and science-y enough that you can just push all your blame into it. Push it in the fatberg. <laughs> all right, so yeah, let's let's talk about the twist end, the big twist end, because Cassie got real fucking lucky and acquired oh. a caterpillar that was just, like, just about to build a cocoon for itself. No kidding. So that's... I, I, I'm... There are books and tv shows and movies that pull this kind of twist and i am furious because i feel like they don't earn it i feel like cassie stuck to a really really horrible decision and didn't really realize that she would be able to get out of it so i'm really pleased that she manages to escape the caterpillar morph but there there are definitely other books that would do this and i would be like whatever fuck y'all yeah, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm very pleased that we still have Cassie as a going concern <laughs> that by the end of the book, she rejoins the Animorphs. Just how in the fuck does Axe even know? <laughs> like, what on the Andalite world has a naturally occurring morph? And how does he know that that resets the fucking morph clock? And why is he so blasé about it? Yeah, that's the, his blasé-ness really gets to me because that has got to be a thing that the Andalites 
con- are concerned about, especially again, because Andalites think the Andalite body is the best because they genetically engineered it themselves to be. So when an Andalite gets stuck in a body, which I'm certain doesn't happen very often, but that has to be like the worst thing. That has to be the stuff of horror stories. I mean, it happens often enough that they have a word for it. Yeah, yeah, no, you make a good point. So the fact that he's like, well, shrug, maybe Cassie could try morphing. Like he does not, he is not appropriately concerned. Right. Their their plan has alienated us for laughs. I don't think it's a correct characterization here. No. But it, it, you also raise a good question about what on the Andalite home planet has a chrysalis or does some sort of natural morph that he's like, oh yeah, that'll, that might work. Try it. Also, how the fuck do you, is this analogous? Do, do caterpillars extrude mass into Z space when they're turning into <gasps> butterflies? What I is mean, happening? I, they, I you, smell you, toast. You I think I've gone crazy. <laughs> no, you hit it exactly on the head, Brent. Something, something, Z space, something, something, butterfly morph. I really want to know when Cassie morphs back from a butterfly, does she have a butterfly morph now in addition to a caterpillar <sighs> morph? Does she Man. no longer have the caterpillar morph? Is it just butterfly? See, this, I think this is a great question. Because it, it seems, it seems like, so it seems like she will have the caterpillar morph again. And it'll be the caterpillar just about to transform into the butterfly. But that DNA morphed. Like, it's the DNA itself altered sufficiently enough that Cassie was able to morph out of it. Does the DNA change when a caterpillar changes into a butterfly? Oh, we are so far out of our depths here, Brent. Extremely far out of our depths. But even if it doesn't change, I would argue she only has the butterfly morph now because we've established, or maybe she doesn't, maybe she only has the caterpillar morph. She's only got one or the other because we've established that... the exact age of the animal when you acquire it is what you've got. Yes. Which makes me think that she must have the caterpillar morph. But it... I just don't know, Brent. Yeah, and I don't think we'll ever find out. I don't think it will ever come up again. It will not ever, absolutely never come up again. It seems unlikely after almost getting stuck as a caterpillar forever. And Hmm. also, why, why does nobody in this book remember... That caterpillars turn into butterflies? I don't know. That does seem like a weird... Like, Karen, okay. She's very, very young, established to be very young. So if she doesn't get it, she might be a little not paying attention in class. But that's acceptable. But, like, the rest of them, come on. Yeah, yeah. How do, How is Cassie going into this earnestly? I don't know. I mean... Cassie makes a lot of bad choices, so presumably she's just not thinking it all the way through. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Because there's a couple moments where, I mean, especially when she has Aftran climb into her head, where it's clear that she has not thought the long game here. Yeah. Yeah, she's making a lot of decisions just spur of the moment uh, without actually really considering any of the ramifications. Which I think is appropriate for where her character is at now because she's struggling so much with the morality of every single action that she has to take. I think at a certain point you just have to do things and not worry about the morality anymore until after the fact. So I think it's, I think it's okay because the the second Cassie stops to think about her actions is when she leaves the Animorphs and, and decides not to engage in this war anymore 
which was a good choice that is entirely nullified for no real reason by the end of the book. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a good choice. No? Well, we can have a discussion on that, I think, because, sure, I think for, for Cassie, at that moment, a sabbatical was the correct choice, for sure. Mm. But does she not, being one of the people with the knowledge that the Yerks exist, have some responsibility to use that? I mean, I think she does. I, I think there's, the question that Cassie is struggling with is, like, personal morality versus... A larger group morality because mm-hmm. I think if you if you consider her role in like a human race then yes I think she has a moral responsibility to engage in this war on behalf of the group but she's also the one who has to live every single day with the things that they've done especially now knowing that there are conscientious conscientious objectors I have trouble with those words Brent <laughs> now now that she knows there are civilians in in this whole situation, um, which they haven't really come across so far. Like, they've met some people who are not directly involved in the war, but they've all been pretty horrible people slash yerks. I would assume that the conscientious objector yerks, the ones who aren't taking hosts, are probably back on the yerk homeworld. Or in the pool. I mean, they do have willing hosts, so... I feel like maybe there's a point at which if you're a high enough level, you might be able to get a willing host. And I mean, I just don't, I don't know how the willing hosts work. So that might be a part of that. I think about that a lot, um, actually. And I, I'm, I'm trying to save it because there's got to be a book where it comes up. I hope so. I think so. Because I think they, I think they pair up with some willing hosts and yerk traders later i have very very vague memories of that i'm looking forward to seeing that i i hope it comes up and that i'm not just um again talking about dreams and or fanfics i mean at this point whatever we talk about is canon for our podcast so that's true that's true more canon than canon more canon i feel like we need a t-shirt with that on it That if we if we ever made Fandalite merch, that would definitely be it. Yeah, just one big torso as Andalite with more canon <laughs> more than canon, canon written canon. on it. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, uh, so the other sort of twist, I consider it sort of a twist anyway, by the end of the book, is that this little girl, Karen, doesn't get reinfested or murdered. Yeah, and I don't know how that works i really don't either because you would think that the other yurks would know aftran didn't get back in her and like either put someone else in her or murder her because she knows too much they've done it before the second another yurk enters that girl's brain they're gonna know Mm-hmm. they're gonna know everything but that doesn't seem to be the case the the only thing i considered might have happened is Aftran might have said, like, hey, I've been in Karen for a while. This really isn't going to pan out. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get her dad. So this is kind of a waste of my time. But the the only other option is that they just live in a pool, which is also not a good use of their time. And they don't seem to have the kind of clout where they could argue something like that. I mean, also... Even if Aftran was able to successfully convince the hierarchy of Vissers that they need another strategy to, to get to this guy, 
they're just going to murder the little girl. She knows too much. It's the same reason that they had to infest Tom. They don't want to waste a yerk in a high school kid, but he saw too much, hmm. and it was that or murder him. That's true. So maybe it's something like Aftran and Karen came to an agreement where Karen isn't going to narc, and Aftran will just not go in and out of her. But... I mean, the fact that the Chi have to go through the whole song and dance with a hologram showing the Yurk going in and out seems to suggest that people would notice. Yeah. So maybe, maybe... So their agreement was that Aftran would stay in the pool. Because the other thing I was going to suggest is maybe Aftran and Karen come to an agreement where Aftran does live in Karen, but Karen still has control. I mean, if that's possible for a Yurk-host relationship, that seems like it would be a way better deal uh, for the Yurk than just go live in the pool now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's possible. I don't think we've seen anything that suggests that the Yurk has to control the host. It's just that... It's just that that's how things are done. Yeah. Maybe that's how the voluntary controllers work. Situations like Joe Bob Finistra is mm-hmm. they, they just sort of timeshare in the body. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it worked It worked out for Joe Bob Finistra because like, he's got like a sweet mansion and all of this tech money from having a yerk in him. I can't imagine all of the dudes hanging around like watching TV and drinking cocoa while their yurks are out uh, absorbing Controna rays down in the big pool chamber. Like, I can't imagine if they just have to, like, backseat drive their whole life for the rest of the month or the next three days or whatever, that they're, they're, that business relationship is going to keep going for more than a couple trips to the pool. Yeah, I mean, the, well, but we know that Chapman is more or less a willing host. But I don't think... He doesn't seem to have a... I don't know. I don't know. We don't know how much control he has, I guess. Chapman's a willing host under duress, though. He's... That's fair. He's a quote-unquote voluntary controller because uh, he knows that they'll infest his his kid, Melissa. Do you think there are a lot of, like, willing and eager hosts? I mean, other than... Um, literally all of those one aliens. <laughs> the Taxons? You know, the, the Taxons. Yeah, the ones that aren't the Hork-Bashir. I, yeah, I don't really, un- you know, I, I I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know either, Brent. I, I don't. I hope that we find out, though. We've got a lot more books to go through. I hope that it comes up again. I do, too, because I think that's, I think that relationship is one of the most interesting places to explore, because you can only, you can only have so many descriptions of hork getting chopped up uh but i'm super super interested in how the the voluntary hosts and and how how all of that cracks out yeah yeah i'm curious and i i have faith that it'll get explored good i appreciate that you have faith i guess we'll see together is there anything else you wanted to talk about for this book so just the last thing i wanted to bring up and and this is just because you mentioned it during the last axe pov book this is another one with a bizarrely out of proportion <laughs> morph on the cover. Yeah, and you know what? That doesn't really bother me as much on this cover. Uh, partially because it's really, I think it's a really beautiful cover. Like more so than most of the book covers for Animorphs. 
it has like a beautiful color scheme. Is you've got like this nice blue and uh, the contrasting orange yellow of the background, and that both of those colors are picked up in the butterfly wings. I feel like most of the time these covers are kind of sloppy '90s covers, but not this one, Brent. I know that you've mentioned before that this specific cover, like you remember extremely vividly, this specific book. Yeah. Just the cover, because I, I literally did not remember the twist ending until Karen said something about a caterpillar. And then I was like, oh, right. Natural morph bullshit. Despite the fact that it sort of gives away the twist ending on the it cover. It does. Yeah, it really does. If you know basic uh, caterpillar anatomy and life cycles, it does seem like it's cheating you. It sets up that Chekhov's caterpillar uh, at some <laughs> point, and then it comes back. <laughs> Yeah, yep. If you have a caterpillar above the fireplace in Act 1, Cassie better be a human by Act 5. I think that's what he said. Sounds correct to me. Uh, I'm no professor of literature, but it sounds correct to me. Yeah, we're not. We're just podcast literature podcasters, not professors of. (laughs) So I think that'll do it for this week. Next week, we're going to start um, because we're doing these chronologically. Next week, we're going to start on the Hork-Bajir Chronicles. Uh, since that's a little bigger and we don't want to do another Megasode so soon after the last one drops, we're going to split that into two episodes. Yeah, so that'll be... Uh, I don't know if we have sub-designations for what those are going to be called yet. I mean, I expect that we'll find out when we post them just like everybody else. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his theme music as our intro and outro. You can find his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. If you've got questions or comments or constructive criticism, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Fandalites. On uh, Our email is Fandalites at gmail.com. Yeah, we're on Tumblr at Fandalites.tumblr.com. If you have good fan art or good Animorphs content or just like good animal content, I'm super into that. Please send it. Yeah, and if you have any fan art of any kind of Andalites with their canonical lack of a torso, we will feature it on AndaliteTruth.org, our sister site. Yeah, canon only though. We don't we don't want any of that false uh, torso bullshit there. Yeah, no torsos. So Mm-mm. we'll see you next week with part one of the of the Hork-Bajir Chronicles. And uh, until then, remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs>